right. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, I am your gracious host, Chris Denson. And um, if, in case you haven't listened before, uh, I hope you have. But in case you have not, in case you're one of the 11 people who has not heard this show, um, we cover all things innovation, great ideas, great marketing, great products, uh, great people behind them, because you can't make any of that stuff without people. So um, with that being said, uh, I'd like to say hello to Hugh Forrest. Hello. How are you guys? How are uh, you? Uh, I, you know, I am more than one, more than a man. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate you thinking of me as larger than just one individual. Uh, no, I'm good. How about how are you? I, I'm great, and uh, very honored to be uh, on any show that showcases uh, innovation. So this is a great treat and a great honor to be here. Well, thank. You. Don't speak too soon, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, I'm going to read something um, that I thought was pretty interesting. How about that? Uh, Hugh is a force of nature and one of the main reasons South by Southwest is so phenomenally successful. His leadership in making South by Southwest so interesting and wonderfully enjoyable is evident by the care he puts into finding presenters, nurturing emerging topics, and keeping everything running smoothly for speakers at the conference and attendees. What do you think of that? Uh, those are nice words. I hope that I can marginally live up to them on my <laughs> best days. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, I, uh, I am thrilled that someone will say something <laughs> about that. Uh, you know, uh, much of the credit to South by Southwest goes to having a great staff and uh, a lot of the credit as well goes to the power of the community. Um, South by Southwest is a community event and so much of what makes South by Southwest magic is the uh, energy and enthusiasm and passion and wisdom of the community. So I, I just sometimes get to be the figurehead for all this, but again, there are a lot of people who deserve a lot more credit than I do. That's great. So uh, the community appreciates that. <laughs> I'm a member of it. I actually went to my first South by this year, so um, I've been I've been inaugurated. Um, so, give me the one on one hundred and one on Hugh Forrest. How would you define yourself and and your work? How would I define myself and my work? Uh, I'm a grinder. Um, what I lack in uh, intelligence, I probably make up for in uh, with uh, a willingness or a commitment to um, insanely long hours or early hours or however you want to phrase that. Um, I think that uh, in all seriousness, you know what we do at South by Southwest is all about um, it. it, it can be a sexy job sometimes, particularly in March during the event. It can be sexy and fun, but uh, behind what happens in March is eight months of just hammering out detail and detail and detail. Right. And I think we do that pretty well, although I know that uh, there's still lots of details that we uh, haven't yet completely hammered out. <laughs> so I always say that South by Southwest is always a work in progress. Um, we uh, always have lots of room for improvement. If we ever get to that point where we don't have improvement, then it's time to quit and, uh, and, and look for a new job. Well, speaking of not quitting, you, you've been a part of the group for 20 years now? Yes, I uh, joined in, uh, in 1989. Uh, oh, wow. Quit for a little while or 
took a little bit of a breather in the early 90s then came back in 1994. Um, so I've been here for a, quite a long time. Um, it's changed immensely over this uh, this period, this two decades plus that I've been here. Um, and I could never, ever have, a po- have possibly imagined that the event would grow um, as big uh, and as uh, as big in quantity and as big as in quality as it has now. But we've been very lucky to be at the right place at the right time on several different occasions. That's awesome. Um, so under your pur- purview is one of those words I always hate, but uh, it always <laughs> just pops up into my head. Like I'm like, oh, what, what's your purview? Uh, so my apologies for that, even though you may not hate it as much as I do. Um, but under your purview of interactive, right? How does Hugh Forrest, uh, you know, a, a veteran at interactive festival programming, how do you define interactive? I think a lot of people have different definitions for the word or they think of things as interactive and you know, uh, there's varying degrees, but if you, when you sum it up, you know, what, what is a Hugh Forrest version of what intera- interactive is? Well, I think interactive, uh, I'm not going to give you a very good answer here, Chris. I think interactive <laughs> is a somewhat of a nebulous term. It, it encompasses so many different things. Um, a lot of which are in the tech sphere, a lot of uh, which are not. Uh, I always tend to say or tend to think or, and, and try to project to my staff that, you know, we're an event that's more about creativity than about technology. It, it just so happens that at this point in time, so many people are doing so many very creative things using uh, technology and, and hence a lot of our programming is tech-based. But um, so, so for me, interactive has a strong, strong component of creativity, um, and uh, you know that's always one of the reasons that we, or one of the reasons that we always try to have people at the event that um, are more creative than they're uh, than they are technical. Whether that's a you know an author or some kind of performer, um, but gives uh, tech people kind of a different way to. Um, approach their craft and approach their, uh, creativity. Right. No, that's brilliant. Um, you said in a recent interview that geeks are the new rock stars, which is, which is very poetic given what South by Southwest is. Um, kind of, kind of define that or explain it a little bit. Well, I, I usually say that in a little more context in the sense that, um, there was a, for the interactive event that I work on, uh, we were, for a long time, we were the smallest part of South by Southwest. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being small. Um, Don't tell that to I my wife. We, I wished we would grow more. Um, uh, we didn't quite know what we were doing if, if we were a startup, and we are a startup to some extent. You could say we had a you know very, very, very long valley of death. Um, <laughs> I can remember during this valley of death period where we weren't particularly growing – um, in either quantity or quality, and me lamenting to um, my colleagues, my friends, my parents, my relatives, whoever would listen, you know, um, I just don't, and the, the lament would be, I just don't understand how we're going to grow. I don't know how we're going to grow. Um, we've got uh, movie stars coming to South by Southwest. We've got rock stars coming to South by Southwest. We've got popular bands. We've got popular films. And, and you know, my section event is 
all they are is geeks and who cares about geeks and <laughs> right you know, that was in in the early uh right around 2000 or so saying that um and uh what has changed i think dramatically in the last 15 years particularly in the last 15 years is that um this idea that geeks have become rock stars and particularly um this this uh this mythos mythos of um entrepreneurs of uh you know uh, most most directly embodied by uh you know the the mark zuckerberg um journey from uh, uh college dropout to to um founder and uh, uh ceo of this uh billion dollar company and he's and, on, he's on um, his way to being the the richest man on the planet is, absolutely is what i read about so uh, again that whole entrepreneurial um Journey, myth, concept, goal has uh, has really changed. I think the way we look at the tech industry and the way we look at geeks and um, has really, really benefited our growth at South by Southwest. I think initially one of the reasons we grew with Interactive or we're lucky enough to grow is that geeks wanted to be at the same place where these bands and and uh, movie stars and uh, rock stars uh, were at, um, you know, to be able to say that they spoke at the same event that Johnny Cash spoke at, or right. spoke at the same event where, you know, Bruce Springsteen was a keynote. But, but again, uh, in, in recent years, um, the geeks have have become this force of nature and um, revenge of the nerds. <laughs> yeah, but along those Along those lines, though, how did you know to stick with it, right? You said you had this lull of a period where, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, you guys are running a business. And, you know, when people try to launch new products and they don't quite catch on, like, how do you know to give it enough rope to continue that you know you're going to have an upswing versus like, okay, this isn't working and, you know, Hugh, Hugh may be out of a job? Well, believe me, there were many times when I thought we should have uh, – we were not going down the right path here and that, that what we were doing on the interactive side just did not match the rest of the event. And why are we still doing this? Um, we were lucky in the sense that, uh, we had this, uh, had South by Southwest music that was, um, going full bore and, and essentially covered the bills for us. Um, if we were a standalone event, we would not have survived that, that, uh, Valley of death. Um, but again, had music to, uh, to, uh, pay the bills and, and, and keep us afloat. Um, you know, every time I went to my boss, Roland saying, Hey, it's time to pack this in, he'd, you know, say, well, just try, you know, one more year. And I think things will turn around and, and, um, you know, lo and behold, eventually they, they did. And, um, uh, it's, I think it's probably this, um, an experience that a band has when they've been playing for quite a while and not had quite the success they wanted. And then all of a sudden, um, it all kind of comes together and, uh, you have this strange feeling of what are we doing differently now? Um, that we were before. I mean, right. all of a sudden everyone likes us and before no one liked us. What's the big difference? Um, but I, I, I think, uh, if there's any easy explanation there, it's just that you have to put in 
a lot, a lot of hours of grunt work to finally start reaping that benefit. And um, uh, I don't want to imply in any way that, you know, we're, uh, again, a finished product. We still have a long, long way to go in our journey. But um, we finally uh, began to, to see the kind of success that we had worked for for so long. And, okay. and that was that was nice to and fun. <laughs> When you when you look back, can you kind of pinpoint a turning point or the first time you said, "Ah, it is working"? Well, the the first time, yeah. Looking back, I think it's much easier to pinpoint than when when we were there in, in the present. Looking back, we first started to see some positive growth. Um, uh, literally ten years ago, two thousand four, um, and. Uh, we went into a um, you know strong ten-year growth cycle, um, hockey stick type scenario, which has uh, begun to level off a little in the last year, simply because we we kind of maxed out the the infrastructure. But why did that start? I mean, again, a lot of reasons. A lot of that started that growth cycle, and and none the. Uh, not the least of reasons, just blind luck, but we were uh, lucky or smart or however uh, you want to phrase that enough to um, kind of tap into the social media stuff at a, at a pretty early age. And um, one of the things that we had that looked smart in retrospect, we didn't know that it was particularly smart at the time, was in 2004, we had a gentleman named Jonathan Abrams as our keynote speaker, one of our keynote speakers. He was the founder and CEO of this uh, Friendster, if you remember Friendster. Yep. Um, I still have my account. Was, of course. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Friendster was the precursor of MySpace, yep. MySpace, you know, all that stuff. And I had seen him on a late night TV program and thought, wow, this guy's pretty funny. We ought to get him involved in the event. And um, we reached out to him and finally got his attention and he came to the event and he turned out to be kind of a jerk. Um, and alienated quite a few attendees with what he said during his keynote. So and, he has, uh, so he has no friendsters. Is pretty much <laughs> why we have no friendster. This is what technology is for to <laughs> build friendsters when we don't have one. And, and strangely enough, friendsters' popularity I think began to uh, to kind of plateau um, after South by Southwest. I'm not sure that there was any direct cause and effect there, but. Um, that was again our first kind of foray into social media, and social media has been very good for our growth. I, I always say that the, the biggest factors in our growth are social media and startups, and clearly the the single biggest factor in our growth and ascension and, and emergence was 2007 when uh, Twitter didn't launch at South by Southwest. They'd already been out for four or five months before the event, but they got their first big push at the event. That's and, great. Um, that is, uh, again, was, was a game changer for us. So you single-handedly, uh, <laughs> no, no, just kidding. But no, you know, but you look at companies like Twitter that found a huge success, obviously, and, you know, have continued for seven plus years now. Um, Foursquare, you know, Facebook in the early days, uh, first of all, do you guys get any kickback from from, <laughs> from any of that any of that growth? If only, if only. Uh, from, uh, now, uh, I mean the the, the irony and and uh, of, of Twitter or or not maybe irony is not the right word, but 
you know, it was a great, in 2007, it was a great addition to the event. It was a great app for the event. You could tell it was something you could use to see where your friend was uh, having breakfast or what party he or she was going to. So it allowed you to um, to uh, really keep track of, of your network in this fairly large space that is Austin during South by Southwest. But, you know, I, I always say no one, really, really no one, in 2007 could envision how big this thing was going to become in three or four or five years. Um, I mean, yeah, it was this great app for, for the event itself, but would it translate uh, farther than the event? I, I remember people talking, no, no, this is just something the geeks want to use. No one else will ever use it. Yeah. And it was several years before it began to penetrate into the, uh, to what, what I'll say is the more mainstream society. I, I think that's, similar to a lot of things that happen at South by Southwest where you have a band that has huge buzz at South by Southwest, but maybe never, you know, makes it quote unquote beyond that or a film that has huge buzz that maybe never makes it. And there's certainly been several apps or products or, or, uh, uh, software, uh, items, digital installations, whatever you want to call it, that, that have been at South by Southwest and everyone's thought that they're great. And then they just, you know, don't particularly, uh, uh, change the world afterwards and there have been things at South by Southwest that no one has quite noticed that two right. or three years you're like holy cow that was here uh, when it was when it was small so it's a great uh, in our best days we're a preview of the future um, but there are plenty of times where we are an inaccurate preview of the future. How's but al- along those lines, like, you know, there was a, uh, the guys from Snapchat were on the Colbert Report one day, and he, he made this joke about, like, college kids, instead of now, you know, w- what we used to do was start a band, right? And now they're starting companies. Like, the, where you say geeks are the new rock stars, it's almost in a literal sense to, you know, to his, to his point. Um, but... Uh, and just like the music industry, you never know who's going to be a success. Are Have you seen, after doing this for quite some time, like are there any sort of indicators or predictors that you see as like, okay, they've got these three components locked down and the, this is, it's a, they're closer to success, lo, closer to long-term success than, you know, the other program that has, that does not have these things. Well, I, I wish I. I mean, if I if I could identify those three things, I would have. <laughs> you'd know, be made rich. Smart investments a long <laughs> while ago. But uh, what I have seen, and I think this you can apply this across many industries, is that the companies or organizations or startups that are most successful at an event like South by Southwest are ones that um, have done this before, have uh, have a fair degree of. Uh, experience within this realm and and, you know the two examples i'll use there one again with twitter um uh they you know they were the um they they broke out of the 2007 event and that um helped pave a lot of their way for uh success in future years but what what we often forget is that Ev Williams, who was the one of the co-founders of Twitter, had been coming to South by Southwest for the previous four or five years. And whether it was working on Blogger or the podcasting software um, or various other projects that he was talking about at the event, uh, that never really, um, uh, you know, created a huge 
uh, earth, uh, they weren't, weren't earth shaking, um, apps like Twitter, but he knew the event, he knew how to work the event. Um, and that paved the way for his success and the company's success in 2007. Same thing in 2009 with, um, what you mentioned earlier, uh, with Foursquare, Dennis Crowley had been coming to the event for many years and um, was pretty familiar with the event. So, you know, I, I think with all of these things, again, whether it's it's tech or whether it's a band or whether it's a film, you know, it, it's I, I read this quote um, a while back. I'm sure I won't do it justice, but it's not overnight it's success. It's the people who stay up all night, all night, all right. night working to create success. No, that's, right? that, no, that's I mean, and that's brilliant. It's kind of like uh, in writing, you know, they say write what you know, right? And and you're you're what you're saying is these companies knew the environment so well that they knew how to play in it, and you know, and obviously you've got a good representation of society. Everyone loves music, you know. Everybody likes films. Um, and we all can't help but to do something interactive on a, on a daily basis. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, that- so, yes, yeah, the companies knew the, the landscape, they knew how to play the game well. Um, and again, that's, I think that's, uh, in many cases, the people are the companies who have the most success at South by Southwest. They've done it a couple of times. They've gotten the, the drill down. Um, they know how to work the event, hack the event, however you want to phrase that and, and can achieve good results, um, from, from that experience. Um, you began your career, if I'm correct, as a journalist. <laughs> um, yes. And at some point when I grow up, I will be a journalist again. <laughs> <laughs> we're all journalists of some, we're all reporting something at some, at some point in time to somebody. Absolutely. Um, how did that sort of background prepare you or did it, you know, does it relate to what you're doing today? Uh, great question. I, I think that, well, I was an English major in college and I think that, uh, as much as we've advanced, uh, light years in technology since the dark ages when I was in college, the ability to write a sentence somewhat coherently, uh, still, uh, goes a long, long way. Um, in terms of uh, being a journalist or being a writer or being a struggling journalist or writer, you know, I, I always, uh, I think the idea was always that you were telling someone something new, you were breaking some kind of news. Um, and and I, I hope, again, that's what we do at our best days at South by Southwest is we expose people to new ideas and new thoughts and, and, and new ways to think about their craft and, and, and uh, put a spotlight on People are doing new and completely innovative things, so I, I think there's some degree of uh, you know overlap between those uh, two callings. Yeah, that's great. And and when, you know, little Hugh Forrest back in the day, you know, you did did you grow up saying I want to be a festival director? Like, what was <laughs> well, you know, when you were ten to fifteen, nineteen? What what was your personal goal? Like, what did you want to accomplish? I, I think I was always again more on the. Um, wanting to be a writer, but I was a, you know, I grew up in Austin. I was a huge fan and participant in the, um, Austin music scene, would go to tons of shows. Um, and, uh, uh, 
uh, I think caught a little bit of the bug that way of, of uh, wow, this is fun to see. I bet it's really fun to organize also. Now, how wrong was I at that? Because <laughs> it's usually not fun to organize, but uh, the end result is sometimes fun. Right. But um, yeah, I, I was uh, lucky enough to, um, again, grow up in a city that uh, really uh, put a high premium on creativity um, uh, and, and I think that, um, that kind of background really shaped what, uh, a lot of what we try to do at South by Southwest today. That's great. Um, so w- when, one of the things I, I used to hate was sort of the idea of crowdsourcing. <laughs> I was always like, <laughs> I was always kind of like, well, people will come up with dumb ideas. Uh, we need experts to kind of curate this for them. But, you know, a couple, a few years ago, you guys launched a panel picker. And uh, I think I was part of the AFI Digital Content Lab at the time. And I'm like, well, why should we have to pitch, uh, you know, pitch a concept like they should be coming to us. But what, you know, what sort of successes have you seen from the panel picker and what kind of went into that decision of allowing the people to help you curate what's going to happen at South by Southwest? Well, uh I'll answer that in reverse order. I mean, the the inspiration for the panel picker, um, uh, our inspiration, I guess, is kind of a nice word. It was, um, or is a nice word. It was <laughs> a somewhat of a direct ripoff of uh, uh, Threadless, the online T-shirt company. Um, we had done a promotion with Threadless in maybe 2006 or so, and was were completely blown away by the amount of response we got off this thing and if if listeners aren't familiar with threadless um it uh is a t-shirt company where you know this crowdsourced t-shirts company people send in designs around a particular theme the crowd votes on which designs they like most the 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 uh, thing that gets the most votes is then made into a t-shirt and sold so it's kind of test marketing. And, and again, we'd worked with them on a uh, promotion uh, one month and, and got a phenomenal number of entries, more entries than we than anything we'd ever done before times, you know, right. times a hundred. And, and I, I thought, well, wow, how can we, you know, take this same kind of concept and apply it to what we do, which is uh, so much of what we do, which is organizing sessions. So this idea of, of creating this panel picker was somewhat born that way. And, and the basic concept is the same, that um, anyone who wants to speak at the event can uh, enter an idea into this interface. We have a month-long period where we accept ideas, and then the ideas are posted on a voting interface. And um, again, anyone with an internet connection can vote on which ideas they like most, which ideas they don't like. And um, comment on ideas as well uh i I, the panel picker does a lot of things really well um and it's helped a lot of our growth that said it's it's certainly an imperfect system (laughs) uh not the least of which imperfect because it takes a a process um that is three-dimensional at least three-dimensional i.e speaking on a panel and you know uh translates it to uh, something that's two-dimensional which is just a proposal on a on a screen so it's sometimes they're great speakers who can make a bad topic completely uh fascinating sometimes they're bad speakers that can make a great topic uh uh boring and the panel picker doesn't quite account for that but it's helped us uh 
uh, again, leverage the power of the community to get some great ideas, to better understand what the community is thinking about, to get people involved in the event um, that were never involved previously. And, and it's also turned out to be this kind of great viral uh, marketing campaign where people are lobbying their friends to vote for their ideas. And so we get a big push by social media about South by Southwest at this time of the year, uh, August, when panel picker voting is open. And so people are talking about South by Southwest now. And that has helped our growth because, I mean, right. I'm not very smart, but I understand that if you uh, – <laughs> You're if, smart. If event, You're a smart event, guy, Hugh. If the buzz for an event starts in August, it will be that much higher than, in March than if the buzz starts for an event in December. So it's, it's right. helped us out in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm convinced now that I will use the panel picker. Um, Chris there have been some some great or not so great examples of you know phenomenal ideas that have gone through the panel picker that have gone completely unnoticed and uh, I think the best example there um, you know uh, is there was a little social media company a few years ago that applied um, to speak at the event via the panel picker it got very few votes from the general public. The advisory board didn't like it very much. Staff thought, ah, oh, this isn't all that great. And so we, uh, as with a lot of the ideas that, that come into the panel picker, we sent the, the organizers of this uh, idea a email saying, thanks for applying. Um, really great idea. Unfortunately, we just don't have room for it at this year's event. Um, uh, went back a few weeks later and looked, and this was an idea from Pinterest, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was just breaking at the time. Uh, You're we like, were we're not Pinterested. Yeah, we were able to pull them back in, and they won speaker of the event at that year's <laughs> wow. uh, South by Southwest. So again, it, it is not a perfect system. It has plenty of flaws for people who are listening who submit ideas that are great ideas that don't make it in. You know, uh, understand that we aired on Pinterest, so we may well air on your great idea. So please don't take it too seriously if, if you don't get in. The, the competition with the panel picker is incredibly intense. So there are lots of great ideas that get in, lots of great ideas that don't get in. Also. So where should the people who got turned down send their hate mail? <laughs> <laughs> Directly uh, call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's your right. Uh, uh, results. We'll make sure we air your number at the end of the, uh, at the, <laughs> end of the, the interview. Um, how many like how many submissions do you guys get, and how many votes go through the system each each year? Uh, this year we're at about three thousand total entries for interactive. Um, the the South by Southwest Music, South by Southwest Film, and South by Southwest EDU also use the system now. So when you add in those, we're at about uh, I think above 4,000 total entries. Um, uh, the number of entries in the, uh, in this interface has increased almost every year or every year. Um, since we launched the thing, the first year we had something like 300 entries and it went to 700 entries and it went to 1500 entries. It's it, the, the growth has slowed down a little more recently, but, um, uh, the growth was phenomenal for the first few years. And, and, you know, it's very core. The panel picker is just simply a, a way for us to create engagement with our audience. Um, 
and our potential audience. And, uh, you know, uh, if someone's interested enough and committed enough to enter an idea, um, a speaking idea, then maybe there's someone that we can talk to and get them interested and excited to attend the event. So again, it's been a great way to, um, help identify, help engage our audience. I'm firmly, firmly, a firm, firm believer in this idea from the clue train manifesto that markets are conversations and, and the more you can converse and communicate with your audience and your market, yeah. the, the stronger, uh, whatever product is, uh, that you're involved with becomes. I, I think of I think about the Kickstarter campaign for potato salad. Have you seen that one where the guy <laughs> raised like sixty grand? Just like I will make you potato salad. <laughs> yes, that was one of mine. Um, I, I guess really quick, is there a single like worst or hilarious panel picker pitch that? Oh, that's a that's a tongue twister. Panel picker pitch um, that you've heard. Like, is there something like you're like, oh my gosh, we had this one thing where it was completely ridiculous. Uh, or are you, or are you not allowed to say? <laughs> no, I mean the, the 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 weakness that we tend to see in a lot of proposals to the panel picker is, um, and this isn't so funny. It's as funny as as it is just a reality is that a lot of the proposals tend to be um, too general, um, and uh, you know we'll get a proposal on future of social media. Well, that's a three-day conference. It's not a 60-minute presentation or a panel. Um, and I think audiences at South by Southwest or at TED or at any other great tech or creativity-related event, what they want is depth, not width. Right. And typically the best best presentations or best panels or best sessions are ones that really take a small portion of the given topic and really examine that in, in depth. Um, I always say to or advise to people when they're, uh, putting together panel picker proposals that depth is much more important than width. I mean, we've all heard that saying, uh, he's a mile wide and an inch deep. That's never really said right. <laughs> as a complimentary thing, right? <laughs> uh, so you want to be uh, the proposals that work best are the ones that are a mile deep and a uh, inch wide. Well, it's really interesting. That, I mean, that that's the approach that you, I mean, or just the rule a rule of thumb. Because I, I, I look at a, a couple of things. One is I think interactive experiences have given us the ability to dive deep into various niches, right? Like if you, if you like, like horse hair and like, you know, all the different varying uh, types of horse hair and types of horses and, and their uses, uh, like you can dive deep in that and find, that was a horrible example, but you get what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> as I'm talking, I'm like, wait, that, that was, hor-. even Scott is like not or shaking his head. Um, but I, I'm big into horse hair. <laughs> well, you're not into that on the West Coast. There's a lot of weaves in the community. That's kind of what I was thinking of <laughs> as as um, as as that popped up. But no, and you know we've had conversations on the show about how because there's so much information available, people will read a headline and the first line of an article or you know a blog post or something and think that they know about that particular topic, right? And then it's it, so you. It's almost like the answer to the problem of uh, the lack of depth in self-education on things, right? Sure. So, so I, I think I commend you guys for just kind of like making that a rule of thumb in terms of how you, 
you know, you go about um, filtering what's what's there. Uh, well, again, this is from, uh, <laughs> as with most things we do, this is from uh, much experience doing it the wrong way and realizing that the sessions that people liked least were the ones that were um, much more overview in nature uh, that weren't going into any um, significant depth, whereas the ones that uh, were providing a lot more analysis and and uh, were the ones that attendees seemed to like the most. So <laughs> right. we noticed that. We gradually got better, and, and it's uh, kind of become a part of our uh, pitch now. Now, South by Southwest as a brand, right? You know, because there's so many different components to it. There's interactive, there's film, there's now there's V to V, I think, in its second year, I think. Right. Um, how do you, you know, how does a, a organization like that launch all these products and grow massively and still maintain the essence of, you know, what it set out to do in the 80s? <laughs> Uh, great question, and if you get the answer, please tell us. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, I think we're uh, there aren't easy answers there, but we uh, we try to continually reinvent ourselves. Um, we understand that uh, the audience and the community that we serve is constantly reinventing itself, and if we don't reinvent it ourselves on a fairly regular basis, we're not gonna, um, we're not gonna keep up. Uh, we have, you know, the, 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 how much the events have shifted over the years certainly reflects how much that audience, uh, has changed and how much society has changed. Uh, as I mentioned before, interactive was previously the smallest part of the event over the last few years, we've grown to the biggest part of the event. And I think that, you know, again, reflects a lot of, luck of being in the right place at the right time, but it also uh, simply reflects how much technology is uh, is ingrained, imbued into everything we do now. And, and every company in one form or another is a tech company and, and every, you know, everybody's got to have, or, or uh, most people who want to get ahead in today's world have to have a fairly uh, good understanding of the digital landscape and have social media skills, that type of thing. So again, you know, our audience has changed a lot. The world has changed a lot in uh, the, the, the 30 years. Hopefully we have changed a lot and will continue to change a lot to meet the, the demands of this, uh, this audience in this community. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you've got, and maybe it's because of just the, the roots in music. But the idea of truly listening to the world, right? Truly listening to, because a lot of times people don't make successful pivots. They're not paying attention. Is there a system in place? Like, do you have minions all around that are kind of reporting <laughs> back to you? Like, hey, here's the hottest thing that's happening right now, or this thing is bubbling up. Like, you know, what system or process do you have in place to make sure that you're fresh? Well, I think that uh, that is one of the benefits and advantages of the panel picker is that um, in addition to, to simply helping us pull in some great ideas, if you uh, take a step back and look at it kind of from a meta standpoint, it, it helps us identify um, trends that the community is talking about, um, that, this, that the interactive community is talking about that maybe haven't hit the general public yet. And, and one of the examples I often cite there is – um, 
in 2008 and 2009 when the, the U.S. economy was just tanking and not really going anywhere, where the world economy was in the same straits, uh, in those same years in the panel picker, we were seeing significant, tremendous, huge, however you want to, whatever adjective you want to use, growth in the amount of proposals that we were getting that were related to entrepreneurism and startups. Right. And uh, what that demonstrated quite clearly was that this entrepreneurial startup community was fairly insulated from um, from the these uh, world economic trends. And in some ways, the two were related, that people had lost their jobs, you know, the jobs they'd had for a while and were forced to go down to the basement and figure stuff out and, and you know, find new revenue models. Yeah, there was there was a, st- a statistic that was like 25% of executives who were laid off during that time or lost jobs or whatever started companies. And as, you yeah. Know, so, so, it, so out of that shakeout, you know, was was born a lot of the 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 uh, startup market that we have today, which in many ways, you know, it, it seems like it may be a little bit too frothy, but who knows? It also seems very healthy in a lot of ways. But, but again, to your question of how do we keep in touch, one of our best strategies here is um, uh, listening to the audience. And one of the best strategies to listen to the audience is this, uh, this panel picker interface that, uh, again, gives us an insight in, in some pretty phenomenal ways to what our community is thinking about, what's important to them. You know, another example here is uh, the panel picker entry period is uh, in July and then voting happens in August. Uh, a year ago, 2013, um, a gentleman by the name of Edward Snowden came on the scene in, in June and, um, and uh, uh, that had a, a little bit of world impact. Uh, last year, we saw a, a huge spike in proposals, uh, speaking proposals re- related to privacy and security, which I think is directly related to what uh, uh, the, the revelations about the NSA that, that Snowden put forth and how much that changed everyone's thinking um, in the tech world and, and the world at large. And, and that one was, I think, a little easier to predict that we would see a rise in proposals related to privacy and security. But again, um, Panel Picker, you know, is uh, in many cases a, a interesting and accurate barometer of what this community is community of forward-thinking digital creatives is is uh, talking about and thinking about. Right. It's funny, you know, when you mentioned a, l- a little uh, a little earlier about the uh, the idea of entrepreneurs, right? And and you look at the whole, each track, right? If you look at film, interactive, and you know, and uh, music, it's kind of they're all entrepreneurs. Right. If you're a band, you, you you have to manage a business and relationships and create your product. Right. And the same thing if you you know, if you're the guys who started Twitter, like you're creative, you have a vision, you have a creative vision and then you have to manage the business behind that. Um, or even as a filmmaker. Right. You have a vision for a film and you need to start putting it together and get in the right teams and, and all those things together. So I think that uh, I, I kind of look at that as also another thread that allows for the growth. And then uh, I had a, a chance to attend V2V this year. Um, and how is that like an extension of that same sort of principle? Because and what does V2V stand for? Nobody gave me a clear answer. <laughs> 
V2V is our newest event in Las Vegas. The answer to your last question, V2V doesn't really stand for anything or mean anything. The idea of it would be a fairly blank slate that we could put this branding on and hopefully in a few years, uh, you know, achieve some kind of meaning based on what we've, uh, what we've, uh, created there. Uh, similarly, you know, t- 25 years ago when we started South by Southwest, SXSW didn't particularly mean anything and, and have, uh, created that brand and attached meaning to it. But, um, I think that uh, your your segue there was uh, impeccable. Um, I thank you is, very much. Is, I, I worked. I practiced it. I was rehearsing it in the car. V to V is uh, very much focused on startups and entrepreneurism, but also tries to uh, see that startup and entrepreneurial visions and process in a larger light. So. You know, uh, we had speakers uh, and panels that were related to music and film and talked about how, uh, similar to what you described, how a, how a band is, in a sense, a startup or how a film, um, an indie film trying to get distribution deals, uh, how it behaves the same way um, or sometimes similarly, sometimes dissimilarly to a tech startup. So, again, trying to provide... Um, guidance, uh, inspiration, innovation for startups uh, from a lot of different perspectives with the V2V event. Las Vegas is exciting, well, one, because it's Las Vegas, but it's also an exciting place to be now simply because of all the uh, the energy that Tony Shea is bringing there with the downtown project and this idea of creating this uh, hub of creativity uh, uh, in the downtown area of Las Vegas, which is an area that that had become very run down over the last few years, but rebuilding it into something that's very very special. So when when someone encounters the South by Southwest brand or the South by Southwest experience, um, what do you want people to walk away with when they walk away from Austin or they walk away from from Las Vegas or wherever you guys go next? Um, what what do you want people to walk away with? I think our uh, our goal on, on all of these events is to have people walk away inspired and, and to a degree recharged. Um, uh, the three tenets of the company have always been creativity and innovation and inspiration. Um, we feel like if you showcase very creative people and very innovative people, that tends to inspire people, uh, and that's always a good thing. I think that message works really really well in austin um in march because it's uh (laughs) you couple uh that content with spring and it's warm here and uh the flowers are beginning to bloom and that there's that whole kind of uh rebirth analogy and uh again in, in some of our best moments it's when people have seen a band or seen a film or or seen a a tech personality and and they feel inspired and feel inspired uh, to go back to their job, to go back to their life with a new kind of energy and a new sense of purpose. And that's, that's really a neat thing on the, the times that we can do that. Speaking of segues, um, the show is called Innovation Crush. Uh, what have you seen in the marketplace, in the world, whether it's a film, a person, a trend um, that you are crushing on that you think is pretty, pretty amazing? <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things that uh, continually inspires me um, is uh, someone we had as a keynote in 2009. Um, 
and hoping to have him speak again for 2015. It's not yet finalized, but we're in, in negotiations on this. Um, this is the gentleman named Frank Warren who does the post-secret books. Um, and uh, I just find his vision, his understanding, his cultivation of community um, and the power of confession and how he's tied this together uh, very, very innovative and inspiring. Um, I uh, was lucky enough to visit uh, Charlotte, North Carolina uh, in the spring and, and see a one-act play that has been uh, put together um, around the whole post-secret concept and phenomena and that was a phenomenon and that that was a, a great show to see um uh post secret has certainly also inspired some um apps uh, there's the secret app um uh that that does a lot of the same things although i'm not sure that they quite uh understand and, and nurture community the same effect that uh frank warren does so again he's someone who um has very, very much inspired me. Um, and I know he's inspired a lot of our attendees. I always tell the story that, or often tell the story that in 2009, when he spoke at South by Southwest, the, uh, he, he did the keynote. It was a 45 minute keynote. There was, uh, 10 to 15 minutes of Q and a afterwards. The first person who got on stage was a guy, it was a, a gentleman who asked his girlfriend who was in the audience to marry him as the first question. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how cool is that when right. you have a speaker who inspires that kind of thing, when you have an event where people are so connected with the event, they want to, you know, <laughs> uh, pop the question to their girlfriend. Exactly. Uh, at that event. So very, very inspiring. Well, given the divorce rate, maybe this year he'll <laughs> get up on stage and denounce <laughs> that decision. <laughs> no, I, I, good luck to that guy. Good luck to him. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, another, uh, question we like to ask is, uh, for you to finish a sentence for me. Um, innovation to me is, Innovation to me is anything that is new and the outcome is uncertain. I like it. You care to, ex care to expand a little bit? Well, I, I will uh, say that uh, <laughs> some of my best ideas or most of my best ideas are remixed ideas. That That is actually a quote I heard from um, earlier this week from a woman named Carrie O'Connor, who is the newly appointed chief innovation officer for the city of Austin. I know that a lot of cities are now creating innovation officers or innovation offices. Um, but, uh, was, we had an event with, with, uh, Carrie earlier this week. And this is one of the things she talked about was her, uh, definition of innovation. And I think that, and I like that definition a lot. Um, I, I think it really nails, uh, in a lot of, ways what innovation is as well as how open-ended it is um and should be um it's an uncertain outcome and uh you know oftentimes we're we are uh cautious to embrace uncertainty in any shape form or fashion but uh oftentimes when we do uh we come up with some pretty cool results that's great um i wish we had more time 
I would love to. I, I do too. I, I got like eight, eight, 18 more questions on my, <laughs> <laughs> on my piece of paper. But um, but no, I want to thank you for joining us. Where where can people go? I'm sure this is very obvious, but where can people go to find more about you or uh, or South by Southwest? The South by Southwest website is sxsw.com. Um, once you're there, you can... Uh, Click on the, the portion of the event that you're most interested in, or if you're innovative, the person the portion of the event that you're that you know the least about. Uh, uh, people can reach me, always reach me by email Hugh at sxsw.com. And uh, uh, part of our mission is trying to respond to all emails and all email questions, big or small. So we we welcome any kind of feedback or ideas or brainstorms or questions from the community. And uh, I have an idea. I, well, if I if I can give it to you, it's um I think you should have some allergy tips. <laughs> Every I'm like I like I have the immune system of a bear. Like I never like I never get sick. I would my, like I had so much snot coming out of my face on the plane coming back from Austin. So I would say, hey, put up an allergy like what to do about allergies uh, section on your on your thing. There you go. There we but go. I'm not sure this is quite selling the event like we uh, like we want to. Eh, well, no, you, but it's it's an it's an act of service. See, you're, <laughs> you're, we know what's going to happen to you before you do, so we're going to give you give you the antidote. Um, if you give people really uh, low expectations, then the experience is always a good one, right? Such is my life. <laughs> so, uh, no, Hugh, thank you so much. This has been great. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been wonderful to talk with you and uh, uh, talk with your audience. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. You can also follow me at Densenology on Twitter. Um, I'm trying to get a new follower, at least one, one, one a month. Uh, but thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy... Try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.